This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the very niche and kind of geeky details of modern warfare with me, Jake Hanrahan. For this episode, we're talking to Hampton Stall. Hampton tracks the activity of the many militia groups in the US on a website he runs himself called Militia Watch. You might remember there was a big militia standoff in Oregon in 2016. It turned into a bit of a militia mecca. There were members from various militias all over the US heading down there. And eventually one of the militiamen was shot dead. Since then, Trump has been elected president. And this has of course led to a massive shift in how the militias operate. Many of them have gone from being libertarians to pro-government. Some have been arrested for bomb plots. And now we're even seeing armed militiamen turning up with semi-automatic assault rifles to massive violent political protests in America. Hampton, I guess, tell me about Militia Watch uh, firstly and why you started it. So it had been a long time hobby. Um, I've done work on militias throughout the world um, and realized that I needed to turn inwards a little bit and see what was happening at home. And from that, just a hobby of tracking and looking into militias, and from that tracking came uh, Militia Watch, after I determined that it was maybe information that other people would want. But I think that Bundy stuff really made everybody realize, like, wow, there's, there's so many of them. Yeah, I mean, people thought that the militia movements had ended, um, but it just never was the case. I mean, uh, when Barack Obama was uh, running for uh, president here, that uh, ruffled some, some feathers that hadn't been ruffled for a while among a lot of the communities that actually went up to form militias. So that, that's why we saw like a really huge, massive spike of militias in 2008, 2009. It was sort of like at the same time that the Tea Party was taking on here. Um, and I guess could potentially explain why there's been a, a pretty significant drop-off of membership since uh, 2016. What, what constitutes a militia in America? Because obviously in the Middle East, it's quite obvious you've got lads running around fighting various battles. Yeah. There's no war going on in America. What are they up to? Yeah, this is this is a uh, a really tough question to answer, but I think it's the way that many of these militias sort of self-identify is it's a group of uh, people, um, not not exclusively men. There are some that have women, um, but a group of people who come together and train for the general self-defense of their communities. Now, what that general self-defense of their communities and what their communities are is something that is very much up for de- debate as well as the specific ideology that each militia follows. So the ideology and the defense are mixed together in almost every militia. And is it right to say most of them generally can be considered right-wing? Yeah, the U.S. has a uh, much longer history of right-wing militia activity, Uh, so therefore the right is usually more active as far as militias go. There there have been a few left-wing militias um, or groups that are calling themselves militias that have come about since uh, Trump's election. And there were, you know, back in the 80s, there were all kinds of paramilitary groups and whatnot. But um, most of these militias are small. They're, by comparison, even less experienced, just given that it's a younger crowd. And it's a crowd that has sort of just come into um, even expressing their Second Amendment rights. The The left in the United States is, is pretty dominated by uh, a liberal centrist left which is very anti-gun. And in order for a left-wing militia to exist, they have to go left of that, if that makes sense. Well, with that in mind, maybe you can um, talk a little bit about the history of the militias in the US. Like, when did it really start? And I know it kind of is dipped 
Um, I know that after, for example, um, the Oklahoma bombing, I read that it kind of it kind of dropped out for a while, and then it came. Maybe you can talk us a little bit about the history. Yeah. Um, so the history of militia activity, and especially like radical militant organized uh, activity in this country, is it's kind of interesting because it'll it'll peak over political events, and then right at its peak, there'll be um, a massacre that is wildly unpopular and then things will drop off or political circumstances will change. So it's not always that there's a massacre, but um, Oklahoma City, after that big time drop off of uh, radical organization membership. Um, uh, but then on the other side, there are events that are radicalizing like uh, Waco, Texas. Um, pretty much every constitutionalist, every uh, anti-government organization in uh, the United States will cite Waco, Texas. Um, this was a siege by the um, um, ATF um, in Texas that ended in the killing of dozens of uh, young folk. Against that cult, wasn't it? The, the Branch Davidians. Yeah. Yep, yep. And it, you know, it was broadcast on TV. Um, everybody was watching it as it happened. This was months of a time. This wasn't, you know, a week. This wasn't a couple days. Our news cycle now moves pretty quickly, but this this held the spotlight for months and then the images of you know the atf showing up with tanks and burning down the building is a really really key moment in the history for a lot of these individuals who have joined these groups key in the sense that they i guess you know they're kind of anti-government whatever i guess they saw that and all their you know in a weird way all their wildest dreams came true all this all the governments out to kill us kind of looked yeah. like they were right yeah i mean it was folks who would you know, maybe not been super into calling out the government on things or were maybe just uh, sympathetic to their friends who might have been anti-government. Um, we're suddenly talking about how the federal government didn't have their interests at heart. Now, this is this is an older generation. This isn't the, the new generation of militias includes a lot of old people who I'm sorry, younger people who were not alive during the Waco, Texas siege. What, what were the militias like then? What were they doing? They were around at that point, right? Yeah, I mean, it was patriot militias, constitutionalists. A lot of the stuff that we're seeing now in sort of the, what you would, what you would deem like old guard militias are either the folks who were in that or the kids, the folks who were in that. You know, I remember I used to read vaguely about the Michigan militia and, you know, the government's going to come and kill us and conspiracy theorist types. And now, ironically, I see half of the guys that used to be anti-government are now pro-Trump. And it's like they've done a, you know, they've done a 180. They're now pro-government. Yeah, this is, there's a huge divergence in the militia movements that we've seen, um, in a lot of ways caused by Trump. So in, in 2016, some of the folks who were involved in the, the Oregon standoff, um, the big ideological figures, Gavin Syme, um, even the, uh, the Bundys, some of the Bundys have, uh, you know, come out and said, hey, do not vote for Trump, he's for big government. But... The candidates they put, that they put up, which, you know, would be an, a Bundy brother or some other obscure ideological figure within the constitutionalist militia movement, would not garner any real votes, even in those areas where they, they were living. Um, so there was a, there was a real a break between the leadership, who was kind of scrambling to hold on to the ideology under which they founded the militia, and then some of the militia organizations, their membership that, you know, joined a militia because they themselves were right-wing and not necessarily committed to the ideology of the militia. And this is super different 
by militia even within the same state. There are some militias that on their uh, in their Facebook groups, it's just pro Donald Trump meme, pro Donald Trump meme, anti Hillary meme, anti uh, anti fascist meme, like just endless memes and discussion about this. And then there are others that are expressing that hey, both the Democrats and the Republicans are owned by the one percent. The one percent is the enemy, and they are taking our you know our own autonomy. And what what do these um, militias generally do? Because, you know, we said there's no war going on. What are they up to? You know, I see videos where they're armed to the teeth, running around in the forest. Yeah, so running around in the forest is a good percentage, um, at least on, on in their public image. So they've got really, I guess, three or four key programming um, segments. So one is this sort of field training exercises, or FTX, where you'll see these videos of individuals dressed on camo, like... Um, usually with a, a rifle that has a, a, a sight on it that's more expensive than the rifle. Instead of tactical, some people call it tactical, where they've just got like so much gear that is completely unnecessary, but it looks cool. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they've all got patches of everything. Every militia has its own patch. Some of them have 12 patches. Um, you know, everybody's got their last name, their blood type, all that kind of stuff on their rigs. Um, I mean, it's, you know, they're they're dressing like, like they're in a the military. It's not... Um, I think this is a, a real development in, in the militia movement in that they're, they're emulating a formal uh, militia rather than just trying to look really irregular. Uh, I think especially at the recent kind of Charlottesville things and stuff like that where you're thinking you don't know who is actually police and who is militiamen, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially as the police have started to look more and more like military as well. Um, but the, the other aspects of what these guys do, um, one of the key ones beyond that is like first aid training. So training in how to, you know, if someone is injured or if, a, if an event happens and there are first responders that are needed, just to have civilians who are trained in this, um, as well as militia members. Some of them are restricted just to militia members. Others are wider community training, um, you know, just sort of trying to get their community together and uh, ready to respond to these kind of things. And then I, I think a third is, um, a third slash fourth is either... Um, ideological work so there are some where they're training in like what the constitution means or what it means to be a three percenter or what it means to be uh, a sovereign citizen or working without the government and which are the biggest militias that you've been keeping an eye on for militia watch i'd say at a, at a national level um it's this is super different it they're sort of like branding of militias and the, I think the most important one currently is the 3% movement, which is divided into a few different segments. And then I would say after that, it's probably the Oath Keepers. Um, the Oath Keepers have sort of broken ideologically with some of the 3%. And even within 3%, there's been some ideological breaks as well. And even within militias that are, you know, even lower than a state, but like a district level, have had splits as well. So it, it's a super decentralized way of going around about militia organization and sort of if you're setting about forming up a militia and you've got you know 12 buddies of yours and some rifles and some camo um, you maybe you, you pick a brand of militia that you want to form and you talk to national if that uh, militia has a national organization and you form it so basically you could start your militia up and come underneath the umbrella of the three percent or the oath keepers but you could still be i don't know northwest battalion or whatever under the brand of yep, that's right yep and there are even i mean in in texas there uh 
there are several militias that are the same brand in the same district uh, that have had disagreements with one another so they do not work alongside each other. But they follow the ideological framework of whichever umbrella, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just disagreement in leadership and the way that things are being done, I guess. So let's take, I don't know, uh, the three percenters, for example. What do they believe in? All right, so the three percent, first of all, the name um, is both important for its origin, uh, just because it gives the name, but also it gives a sort of sense of the ideology, a good uh, overview. Three percent, three percenters believe um, that three percent of the American colonists rose up against the British. It's, it's sort of a, a dubious factoid. It's, there's not really any historical record to back that up. Um, and I'm going to make some three percenters mad, and they're probably going to send me some uh, for saying that. Um, but basically, it comes down to them believing that a small group of really determined individuals can actually impact change at a really large scale. So even though the community maybe has like 2,000 members and 18 of them are in a militia, that militia can have an impact is sort of what they're believing. And it is, the 3% will... Uh, will tell you that they're not like necessarily right-wing, but they're a right-wing organization, and some of their members are very right-wing. So the organization in and of itself is not a racist organization, and the militias are not racist militias, but some of the individuals are very racist and have actually been arrested for trying to commit hate crimes. Uh, okay, so it's not... It's not a prerequisite that you don't... You have to be not racist. It's like, we're not racist, right. but we'll take racists. Yeah, like, uh, for example, the Georgia Security Force. Um, the Georgia Security Force here, it's, you know, they, uh, they have a few members of color, and they appear in pretty much every video of the, of the group. But then, that being said, the Georgia Security Force 3% has been um, very active in protesting the construction of mosques because they believe that it, it, it marks the Islamization of Georgia or something like that. Yeah, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like, you know, three percenters were kind of libertarian, right? But now, how can that be? Yeah, there's, there are definitely some, some difficult contradictions to deal with. And it, it's, it, it is, you know, difficult within an organization that's as large as the three percent to have a really firm ideology, especially when it's something that's so decentralized. There was a small uh, protest here organized against the detention center that ICE is using. Um, and these guys showed up to monitor the situation. They showed up with their rifles. The, the leadership was not there, but some of the members showed up and they had 3% patches on um, and 3% hats with their rifles. So you, for, a, for an organization that is, you know, during the Obama years was one of the most anti-government militias in existence, uh, they're now defending a deportation force, a militarized deportation force. So you can see how some of the ideology um, sort of loses its impact when there's another more pressing ideology for some of the individuals. I mean, if they're then protecting ICE um, officers, it hardly, it hardly makes any sense. Yeah, that's right. Overall, I'd say if you were to ask an individual, they would say we're against uh, government corruption, we're against the government... Um, stepping in and interfering with our lives where it shouldn't be. Um, but then if you were asked secondary questions beyond that, it's, you know, things like, uh, you know, immigration frightens us. Um, uh, creeping Sharia is a concern of ours. Um, as well as, you know, things like 
the militia provides a community for me. It's a community that I didn't have that I appreciate. These guys are like family to me. Um, and then I guess like fourth level would be, I have this, you know, this fancy rifle and, uh, I'm bored of shooting at the shooting range. So I'm going to get trained how to, uh, how to defend myself and my community. And that, you know, that, that aspect is, is an important one. Um, cause a lot of these individuals are, are really into sort of community defense. Yeah. I guess you need, you need something like, I mean, I think most people would maybe, I don't know, join the scouts or like, I don't know, a five-a-side football team. But in America, you guys have got militias running around. It seems to be, I don't know, it seems a lot of them are bored, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they feel they're not being her politics. I guess what I mean is how dangerous are they? And I, I think there's, there's a big, big range here too because some of their members, there was actually, uh, I can't remember his name, but one of the individuals who was actually protesting in Atlanta was just arrested for attempting to uh, commit hate crimes. Um, so in that case, like some of the individual members are very dangerous, um, but the the organization overall will say no. It's not our problem. It's some of the individuals among us. For me and a lot of Brits, when we see this, you know, I was watching some protest, um, and they had Trump supporters, and there was a militia turned up, all armed, yeah. and this guy had an open carry AR-15. You know, it was yeah. insane, and it was legal. Like, how was a guy wandering around in his flip-flops and his shorts with an AR-15 and loads of ammunition? That seems insane to me. And then I saw um, there was another group, I think it would have been Redneck Revolt or one of those left-wing kind of gun clubs turned up as well. And they didn't really do much. They were kind of mouthing off and, you know, obviously there was a lot less of them. But I looked at that and I thought, fucking hell, like that could so easily turn into such a chaotic situation where both sides yeah. are firing on each other. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but surely that, that's dangerous. It seems like that could happen, especially with yeah. Trump and how everyone is acting right now. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you here. Um, that's, there's, so Charlottesville is a good example here. Um, the, there were several militias involved there, and they were there to, in their own words, provide security so that there was you know, freedom of speech and expression. Um, and that freedom of speech, of course, was the freedom of speech of um, a number of white nationalists, fascists, and neo-Confederates. Uh, neo um, so organizations whose individuals you know, were, were speaking hate. Um, and basically what happened was the, uh, the militia sort of formed a barrier between the protesters, uh, the, or the counter-protesters, those who came out to say, hey, this, this unite the right rally is not okay. Um, we're mostly people from the area and we don't stand for that. And this includes clergy as well as, you know, um, uh, anti-fascists and a number of other left-wing organizations as well as a number of liberal organizations as well uh, showed up. And basically what happened was the, uh, the situation got out of the control of the police and the police um, evacuated. They just pulled out of the entire situation so then you ended up having a militia force which it you know there was 30 to 40 guys heavily kitted um you know with some of them having ideological underpinnings and most of them not having experience in this sort of situation and uh suddenly they didn't know what to do there there's a number of photos that have come out and these during the chaos there are militia members who are wide-eyed and shocked they don't they don't know what to what to do and i i do fear that if there were 
you know, another organization that showed up uh, armed from the other side of the aisle. On the, more on the, the leftist liberal side. Yeah, um, that there could have been a situation that uh, these guys were hyper vigilant and you know, looking for, for a reason to use their rifle. Um, I think that's, that's where there could be real violence. But as far as like organizing against the government and like trying to overthrow the government, that, that's not really a, a point of programming anymore. So that's, that's gone, that's out the window really, as, as a hole in yeah. Militiaville, essentially. Yeah, and most of, most of them don't even really mind about the militarization of the police. There, there's, there's been like a lot of crossover from the sort of Blue Lives Matter um, mindset into the militia camp, which is not something that's existed before. So a lot of the sort of philosophers or whatever you uh, want to call the activists who have created this ideology um, have, you know, been explicitly anti-police or um, anti-border security or, you know, anti-police checkpoint, like have filmed themselves mouthing off at police and telling them that they don't have a right to be searched or that the police officer doesn't have a right to search them. Um, and that's that's kind of changed uh, among a lot of the membership. So, okay. And what about the other group you mentioned, the Oath Keepers? What are they up to? The Oath Keepers are um, sort of. Mm, this one's hard to explain. They're they're like a militia, but they're a militia that provides defense for other people. So rather than them um, showing up and representing themselves. What they intend to do is if something happens, they go up and they defend that area. So these guys really came into prominence um, during the Ferguson uprisings uh, when Oath Keepers would show up, you know, heavily kitted out. They weren't wearing, like, camo. A lot of them were wearing, like, T-shirts and then, you know, uh, military rigs. Um, And they would either post up on the top of a building or, like, post up on a corner and basically, like, try to keep the peace. And they're always armed when they do this, right? And they were armed, yeah, heavily armed. Um, and in a lot of cases, the, the police um, do work with the Oath Keepers. Um, and that's something that I failed to mention about Charlottesville, but the militia leaders who talked with the, or who came to Charlottesville, talked with the police. And the police, according to the militia, gave them the green light and said, yeah, sure, we need all the hands we can get. Um, and this is, this is the same thing with the Oath Keepers. They, they show up, they do that. It's mostly they show up um, at protests. So if Black Lives Matter has a, a protest, even if it's a planned, peaceful, daylight protest, they'll show up um, heavily armed and just make their presence known. So if you ask them, um, would they say that they're in support of the government now? If you ask them directly, they're not in support, but they just want to maintain the peace. Um, but... You know, they're, they don't show up to right-wing rallies to uh, defend people's property against them. It's only whenever it's, like, left and left of center. So, you know, lumping in, like, um, uh, Black Lives Matter into that as well. They, uh, they're a little bit different from the 3% in that a lot of them are actually veterans. The majority is. And it's sort of... Basically, when you when you take on one of those roles, you take an oath to defend the country against, uh, you know, enemy foreign and domestic, and oath keepers are keeping that oath that they took before. So that's that's the intention. I will say, 2017 did a drop, significant drop in their activity, in that um, 
you know, after the election of Trump, when a lot of the, uh, you know, after, after January, um, a lot of the big protests where there would be some right-wing organization, a, a fascist organization, or a white nationalist organization, or neo-confederate, or whatever it was, they would be holding a rally, and then, you know, liberals and mostly leftists would show up to counter-protest that. The, the Oath Keepers showed up to a few of these in, like, a smaller number, and then basically realized who they were defending, and there were, you know, a couple of pretty big um, events that happened in which they basically fought some of these guys either telling them hey man like that's that's not what being an american is about or they would literally fight against a white nationalist who was dressed up like a crusader or something um or like shoving and trying to take signs and all of that so i think as far as the ideology of that organization goes it's not there's not as much slip into uh defending things as they have become uh and so in that case like the individuals who maybe were interested in that have migrated to other militias. A lot of these militias, there is a good amount of free flow of members between them. And sometimes members will be like a member of three different militias. So things have dropped off a little bit, I guess, like you said. But what about that thing in, I think, 2016 with the Bundy Ranch? I mean, that was insane. The standoff. Then that guy, I forget his name. He had his name? Lavoie Finnegan. He's the one that got killed, right? Yeah, that's it. Lavoie Finnegan sounds like a, you know, like a villain, like a superhero villain or something, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, sadly he was killed. What happened there? Why did that just that? That was I probably one of the first times I got really interested again yeah. in the militia. Yeah, movement. it was basically over a, a dispute over um, if ranchers should be allowed to graze on public land, public land being like you know, nature preserve or um, just something that isn't owned by an individual and isn't grazing. So basically, there was a, a guy who was um, having his cattle graze in public land, and the uh, Bureau of Land Management, BLM, um, said, uh, hey, this is illegal, and they sent him a fine. Um, and at this point, the Bundys and Lavoie Finnicum, um took interest in this case. They, were, they wanted to defend this guy's right to use this public land didn't like the state stepping in and right. Uh, so they stepped in and basically the Bundys with their own little like uh, militia of you know, under 20 people showed up and occupied, you know, with, with rifles, occupied the the bureau, the office. The BLM, the, the land management thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And previously when I said BLM, I meant Black Lives Matter. Um, so it's confusing. But uh, they showed up to occupy that and you know, we're setting about listing off their demands. Um, and basically a whole series of other militias. So these were militias that had been in the area that had been active. Many of them had been active in the, uh, Sugar Hill mine, um, event. There was just this big protest that involved militias standing off, um, in a nearby mine. Um, they showed up to form a buffer zone as they called it. And basically this was the federal agents that showed up with their rifles um, and the Bundy folk were inside the building with their rifles. And these guys showed up with more rifles to form a buffer between those two and to basically send information between the two to negotiate. And those that were inside of the, uh, the building 
were very, very against this and told them to leave, told the buffer zone organizations to leave. Wait, so the, the people they came to defend told them to go away? Yeah. They said that they were escalating the situation and that was not in their interest. But they, they didn't do that. They stayed um, and actually stayed for a while, a long time. But one of the things that them staying did was, uh, you know, these, these militia organizations were very well connected, especially across the Pacific Northwest. And they uh, used what was called the, uh, either the Patriots, uh, or the Pacific Patriots Network or the Patriots Supply Railroad. And this was basically using their own networks on Facebook, um, the contacts that they had on their phone. They would send out a essentially a shopping list, and it would come through uh, the area. What was really interesting here is that this used not not necessarily individuals in like you know Colorado being like, oh, these guys need this. I guess I'll drive up there. But they tapped into networks of those who were involved in shipping. So truck drivers and stuff like that. And uh, they would bring it, you know, just in their, uh, on their front seat as part of their normal routes. So they, they'd be shipping, you know, in an 18-wheeler, um, or not, a, a Mack truck. They'd be going in a Mack truck from, you know, um, Nevada. And they'd be going up to Seattle or something like that. And they would just, you know, on their route, just make a stop and drop things. And I, I wrote a little bit about this, um, when I was writing about the, the ranch or the, the BLM standoff, um, but it's it was pretty interesting because they had a logistic network that was uh, or a logistics network that was pretty substantial. Some of the asks for supplies were you know it, it was like things like toilet paper and um, power bars, but then also the original ask that started this all off was for supplies and quote snacks. Um, which led to some really interesting things happening, including at one point PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, showed up with meatless sausage and meatless jerky and, you know, filmed themselves, like, giving them to these militia members. And they're like, hey, this is pretty good, right? And the guy's like, yeah, it's good, but I want some bacon, ha, 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 ha. So a bunch of weird stuff happened after this got publicity. How did that all end? Because I remember one minute seeing, you know, amazing scenery where... You had all these, all the, I remember the snow, it was snowing heavily, wasn't it? And you had all these guys turning up. It became a bit of, um, it was almost like their little kind of right-wing American militia mecca for a while, it seemed to me. I don't know if that's just looking from the outside or what. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was at the center of, uh, of so much going on at the time. It was, you know, all over the news. It, it resolved in a, you know, basically, Lavoy Finicum, um, leading a lot of this, uh, was on his way to a meeting with uh, the feds. Um, and basically, the the cops thought that he was running away, and he sped up further after they turned on the lights and did run away. And then uh, he ran his truck off the road. And there, there are differing narratives here, but it seems like what happened was he got out of the car and either reached to his gun or pulled his gun and was shot by the feds. Um, so he died and that sort of, that sort of ended a lot of it. Has he become a bit of a martyr now for the, for their movement? Big time. Yeah. He's a huge martyr for it. He's got a, a little logo that he used to 
use at his ranch. That is an L, a V, and an F together. And it's sort of become, for especially in the Pacific Northwest, and especially with constitutionalist militias, it's become sort of a logo. Like how there was the Where's Kilroy uh, previously. It's It's just sort of worked into different images and put all over the place. But do you think things like that gave these militias a bit of a boost? Because Bundy, you know, for right or wrong, he was actually doing what he said he was going to do. You know, I know there was an instance before it as well where they got, what was it? They got the police to retreat from some kind of land they wanted to take over. It was Texas. Uh, I can't remember. Some amazing footage where they're like chasing after like armed police on a horse. (laughs) It's insane. Or aiming a sniper rifle at uh, federal officers. Well, yeah, I mean, the... The folks who were involved in this occupation, uh, their their case was dropped. Um, so nothing ever happened. They, they were charged briefly, some of them were. But then, yeah, they didn't do as much pointing of weapons in this time. It was more just like showing up with their rifles across the chest and saying, hey, get out. So they didn't even really have to co- coerce anybody. It was, I mean, it's a Bureau of Land Management. They don't have, like, a military base or anything, so. Sure, and what about um, what, what I've seen quite recently and you mentioned it earlier, is the rise of these leftist um, armed militias in America. I mean, I think there's Redneck Revolt. I saw some group, apparently they're Maoists with like these red bandanas and uh, AKs walking around somewhere in America. Tell me about them. These are, these are relatively new, and it's, the members are young. Um, Redneck Revolt, I guess I'll start with this, is, is more of an activist organization than a, a militia in that probably 95% of their programming is trying to organize in working-class communities um, for anti-fascist purposes. Um, But there are some members who align themselves with Redneck Revolt that show up with rifles, and some of those members, their photos have been, like, circulated on Redneck Revolt material. But it's, it's not their central programming, and I think that's, like, a key difference here between Redneck Revolt and some of these, like, 3% or... Um, Oath Keepers, is that their central thing is to be militant, to, you know, show up with rifles, that kind of thing, versus these guys, which spend most of their time out in the community, they spend it at, you know, gun shows, trying to radicalize people at gun shows, kind of thing. Um, So basically trying to say, hey, like, there is a left that is pro-gun, and here's what it looks like. And they talk about, like, working class history in this regard. There was a... a, uh, a couple weeks long battle between um, the industrial workers of the world and the KKK, for example. Uh, It was somewhere in the Northeast. Uh, I'm blanking on the state, but it's, that's like a really key event for, for them sort of raising awareness of that event is, is important to Redneck Revolt. Um, And then there's like the John Brown um, militia as well. It's super uh, decentralized and not very well organized as far as like national level goes. And basically they have a flag and show up with AKs with uh, bandanas. They're not an explicitly Maoist organization, but they are a communist organization. Some of, the, some of the members are Maoist themselves, and some of the members are also anarchists as well. So Wait, the anarchists are with the Maoists and the communists? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just the, the left in the U.S. is, it's so, it's so, it's so small that people are working alongside who they will likely fight with if there were ever, 
a revolution or whatever. Um, so, yeah, but John Brown Militia just just uh, works as, like, a branding of um, left-wing militia. I don't really write about them too much because they're not as, not as significant um, over a longer course of period of time. But if it were to become that they were, you know, uh, growing in membership at a high enough rate and not just, like, that post-Trump kick that for most leftist organizations has died off since then. And for you, which is the most interesting militia at the moment that you're following? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I've been working for the last uh, month or so on um, just a whole bunch of free, analyzing of field training exercises in Colorado. So that's, that's on my mind right now. And I will say it is beautiful cinematography with beautiful scenery. So in that case, it's really interesting. As far as like militia movements go, um, ideological splits in 3% are really, really fascinating to me currently. Um, and uh, I'm looking to see what the future uh, constitutionalist organizations are going to be. There's, there's been such a disruption in a lot of those organizations especially. So that's, that's interesting to me. They're, they're usually smaller and more local. Well, tell, tell me about why, what's happening with the three percenters or the constitutionalists. What's happening with their splits? Yeah, so three percenters, basically there's a, there's a security force branding and there's a United Patriots branding. It's basically like just different leadership. There, with each state, there's maybe usually just one, but there are some states where there's one of each. It's just a different way of carrying yourself. It's hard to describe, but basically the security force type has been in the, in the news a lot, doing a lot of interviews and whatnot, whereas the uh, United Patriots um, have mostly been reported on. So these are ones that have actually had... like. Uh, members who have gotten arrested for uh, moving to commit violence or because they were suspected that they were going to commit violence. Um, and then members are uh, interviewed on the press like in response to that kind of thing. Whereas security forces more actively sought out. I think there was a, a Vice um, documentary on the security force here. Yeah, with Blood, Blood, Sergeant Blood something, or what the fuck is Blood his name? Agent, yeah. Blood Agent, yeah. I actually spoke yeah. to him on email. He seemed like a nice guy. Are you seeing a lot of right-wing influence starting to... I mean, I know they were kind of right-wing anyway, but surely that's that's become more prevalent in these groups as it seems to have become in America. Yeah. So in, in right-wing influence, I think there's there's two different ways that we can think about this. One is like um, the the populism that is Donald Trump. And then I think there's also the sort of like the new American fascism that is uh, like Bannon. So... These influence militias in two different ways, and I think that the former has influenced American militias a lot more than the latter, whereas the latter has uh, influenced right-wing activist organizations greater. So, I mean, like American Vanguard, for example, is riding on the wave of that latter half, whereas the, the 3% was riding on the wave of the former half, if that makes sense. So you mean, I mean, for example, Bannon and that, that kind of ilk of new American fascism is more ideological based right like you know they read a vola and this kind of stuff and then i guess what you, what you were saying was the former the trump is kind of more flag waving yeah yeah it's sort of nationalism versus um uh like uh like fascist work I, it, it's hard to describe one is like a lot more ideologically driven which is that ban inside whereas the other one is like um emotion and power of the moment driven both, both are dangerous and can be, you know, both can lead to 
significant violence, but they just operate in different ways. And uh, has there been any um, particularly big situations where violence has occurred as a direct result from militias getting involved? I mean, recently, not like Ruby Ridge or anything like that. You know, for the most part, they do keep their fingers off the trigger. There, there have been some times that have come real close, and Charlottesville is very close. There's, I mean, just throwing, throwing people, armed people into chaos is just when it happens enough times, something will happen. Um, and so I think that's like the big fear is like that there is a chance of something happening. But for the most part, it's like individuals acting on their own or it's, you know, three people coming together and forming a quote unquote militia and like trying to bomb mosques. So there was one a couple years ago called the uh, American Crusaders, and it was a militia that existed for like five months. Um, basically, I picked them up, put them in my database wrote a little bit about them, some notes. And then, you know, two months later, they, uh, like, uh, were found guilty of, like, trying to bomb a few mosques. And I'm not sure where their trials went from there, but... What do you think about, you know, I was talking to you earlier, I've been on this, um, doing this piece where I'm investigating Atomwaffen Division. I mean, do you, are they on your radar at all? Not, not as a militia. This is, I would deem them more on the, uh, the Bannon side of things. This is, I mean, I don't really know too much about them, but I assume that they're, they're pretty new, yeah? Yeah, 2015, they formed. Yeah, and this is, this is, I think, more influenced by, at least from my initial reading of them, mostly from your uh, reporting on them, is uh, that they seem to be more coming out of, like, internet culture and less out of militia culture. Yeah, and, like, another thing, you know, as vile as they are, their aesthetic is very attractive for anybody you know of my generation or somebody who has kind of come out of that internet culture it's like 4chan meets hitler meets charles manson you know what i mean it's it's insane yeah. it's very potent if you're after that kind of thing i mean for example their belief is not the typical right-wing thing or far-right thing of oh well the holocaust wasn't actually this bad or you know auschwitz was just uh keeping you know holding pen or whatever they are like the Holocaust did happen and we wish it was bigger. You know, that's how extreme they yeah. are. Yeah, which is like, you know, just given the origins may have come out of irony and then some individuals took it too seriously and that's when things get frightening. No, definitely. I think it's really interesting um, how that's happened. You know, I read uh, Kill All Normies and I thought one of the really interesting parts in that was how she argued that kind of what used to be the irreverent, leftist kind of way of doing things is just were just taken over from you know and given taken over by the right online and then they became irreverent and edgy and you know they were they were the guys and i think you're right i think atom often kind of they uh they capitalized on that but then through that some really we're kind of finding out some really dark people got involved and you know now they're linked to five murders their leader was caught with you know explosives and a framed picture of yeah. timothy mcveigh I mean, it's, it's, to me, it seemed like it's so close to just something happening, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, something has happened. <laughs> They've been the murderers. Like, that's, that's definitely something that has. Of course. I mean, like Heather Hayer, right? The, the, the poor young girl that got killed at, at yeah. Charlottesville. I mean, she was the guy that ran her over. I, I don't know about you, but I've been told very specifically he was a part of American Vanguard. And now yeah. they, they deny it. But of course they would deny it. No, he was he was there. He may not have been an official member, but he showed up as part of their uh, uh, cadre. I mean, he was wearing he was wearing the button-down shirt and had the shield and all that stuff. Like regardless of membership, like that is that is their ideology. Like that is what that leads to. Um, and what is American Vanguard? 
it's a they've rebranded i'm i can't remember the name that they are now but it's it's a fascist party they're they're openly fascist um their sign their little logo was a uh an eagle like the american eagle symbology but holding a, a fascist which you know our our quarter has that as well it's on all of our seals and stuff but this is a, just a readaptation of that and it's basically trying to bring fascism back into style in the united states and there there have been times in the united states where fascism was you know like an ideology that was taken seriously by some individuals now it's sort of you know in the in the media it's like fascism is sort of this far off thing that's been defeated and it's gone and that's something that's just hitler like like that, that's never happened here like but there there's ideological underpinnings for it and a history that these guys can draw from um that american vanguard's been very effective with and what do they believe in like what do they want to happen um i mean just general fascist stuff like deportation of immigrants all of that just basically they haven't been super uh clear in some of their end goals but in private conversations and whatnot there's been stuff about like a holocaust again kind of things it's and it's hard to tell if that's like serious or if that's just them being edgy and that's the kind of thing where it's like these things aren't really funny to joke about but I think I think what's really interesting to me looking at it now, like in you know, I, I'm a I'm a believer in you know, sick comedy, dark comedy. It's comedy, right? But in America, you guys, you know, it's like they've taken the internet, and you know, I see some things on the internet that I laugh at that I know are fucked up. But it's on the internet. I, I get the internet. It's funny. Like, oh my god, that's fucked up. You wouldn't share it, but you kind of laugh at it. You know, we all do. As much yeah. as people want to pretend they don't, they do. But now these guys are really taking it and running with it, and kind of being like, yeah, fuck it basically like mobilizing 4chan out of the mum's basement kind of you know meme and actually you know i saw charlottesville and i was like jesus christ it's like fucking paul running around you know what i mean yeah i mean so just to like back this up a little bit there was this is a lot of this stuff is all related with like the rise of the alt-right here which really gets its basis if you go back a little bit further to gamergate um the big scandal um about uh, women in games reporting and, uh, according to them, ethics in gaming journalism. Um, sort of like the cornerstone of Gamergate. So Gamergate like basically activated a whole bunch of people who were only online and only like active in politics online to moving them to real space, either through harassing people you know, over the internet or harassing them in person. And what this ended up doing was it ended up getting like a, an ideological block of people who were at the margins of, you know, society, and just to put it in a way, uh, at least socially. And they came together and they're like, hey, like, we are uh, disrespected and, you know, we're men and we need to be men. And here's what our definition of man is. And we're going to, like, take back this country on our behalf. And we're going to do it through memes and, like, you, know, you know, like, shit like that. And that's, that's where the alt-right came from. Like, that's where the, the, the movement that became the alt-right came out of, was this uh, political engagement over fucking video games. Um, and that, that sort of continued to move along forward and forward, and things just kept getting, you know, just more and more nuts along the way. And we ended up with, you know, these, these groups that are... Uh, you know, unironically uh, talking about the Holocaust is a good thing now. Well, you ended up with Trump as well. <laughs> like, I, 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 don't know, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I, I don't yeah. think without the, that movement, he wouldn't have been about. Yeah, it's all the meme magic stuff. I mean, 
r slash the Donald on Reddit was like a really key space for uh, mobilizing these folks that wouldn't exist in public spaces, at least previously. Like we think about like the ways that like we moderate our speech in public and around people that we don't know. When you take away like the the impact on your own person of saying something and offending somebody and make it anonymous, it takes away a lot of that. So people sort of speak their mind or create their mind as they deem fit, which sometimes means let me go as offensive as I can and see how far I can get. And then when you start saying it enough, you start to believe that kind of stuff unironically too. Do you think in the future you might see more of these kind of internet groups, I don't know, becoming militias? Because if you look at three percenters or whatever, they yeah, okay, they, they've got their thing going on, but they're not exactly cool. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't kind of have that aesthetic or that kind of cool aesthetic that maybe the internet generation would need, um, especially these kids that are influencing memes. And as far as the left-wing militias goes, they're definitely, they don't look cool. You know what I mean? If they want to get yeah. people on board, they need to, I think, step away from that kind of hippie vibe. You know, if I, I hate to say that, but you know what I mean? They, they need to kind yeah. of give the youth something else. Um, so I don't know. Do you think that's ever possible that these, you know, <laughs> these, these meme kids might end up in militias? No, I, don't, I don't think it's as, maybe when, maybe when they get older and uh, moderate themselves, I guess, or whatever. But I mean, I think you, you've hit it. The, the aesthetics are really important for both. And um, it just doesn't mash up. I think uh, there's a lot of hate for boomers among this like new right. Uh, so those who were born in the uh, in the baby boomer years and the baby boom, um, they're sort of older. They're starting to retire now. Um, they're the reason that our social security might crash, um, whatever. But uh, they, you know, they've held the same same sort of political views for 30, 40 years. Uh, um, but. I, I think there's there's a disdain for those who are older than them that comes from like this new right, like this new generation of right wing and fascism um, that would be inhibitive to uh, uh, to joining like a militia movement like what I look at. There there may be some, of course, you know, some folks who are like, oh, I'm tired of like just posting online. I'm going to take some action and join a militia. Um, but I think just like with uh, Adam Waffen, I think a lot of it's going to be like, uh, my action is going to be acting alone and just seeing what I can kill kind of thing. And lastly, I wanted to talk about equipment because I've seen some incredible, you know, as myself, a bit of a gear geek, you know, like I really like looking at what even the, 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 the walkie talkies I've seen some of these militias have. Yeah. Um, I find it really interesting. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. I mean, what kind of gear are you seeing them with? Yeah, there's, <laughs> well, there's a huge range. Um, I've, uh, I got some friends that I talk with about this a lot, um, and the some of our conversations are like, "Wow, you know, if I was appearing in a video every month with my rifle, I'd I'd maybe spend an extra three hundred dollars to get a better model than this." But some of them do have really uh, substantial. Um, they've invested a, they've invested a lot of money in their kits, um, but I mean, basically standard issue, I guess, if you can call it that. You provide your own equipment, of course. But what is standard is um, usually a, a long barrel semi-automatic rifle um, that usually you have a, a 30 round magazine with. Um, so an AR-15 is really popular and AR-15 spin-offs um, as well. Uh, and then usually a, you know, a handgun as a sidearm. And the handguns are usually a 9mm or a 45, um, overwhelmingly. There's a, uh, you know, it's it's 
everybody has a plate carrier. Um, it's unclear if everybody has a plate in it or not, but uh, a plate carrier that usually you have three to four mags on and usually um, you know, full camo from a hat to a coat, pants, boots at some points, gloves sometimes. Um, some of this varies by climate, of course. The Colorado militias that I've been looking at, everybody has gloves, everybody has a hat, everybody has two jackets on. Whereas the South Carolina militias that um, are sort of, uh, not necessarily like grew up around, but are like my initial exposure to militias, it's, it's lighter clothing. It's, you know, a camouflage button down, uh, maybe a, a jacket over that. Um, never shorts, never shorts. Nobody's a militia member in, a short, in shorts. No shorts? No shorts. Right, okay. AKs, but no shorts. AKs are, AKs are um, they were really popular with new inductees into militias. But most everybody has dropped AKs just because uh, 556 is used by almost everybody else in their militia. So they want to make sure that if, you know, if, if shit hits the fan, they have ammunition from their comrades. Ah, okay. So, yeah. so if they do get like, I don't know, fucking pinned down in Walmart or whatever, they're all going to have enough, uh, enough ammunition to go around. Yeah, yeah. And there has been a movement away from 9mm as 9mm ammunition has gotten more expensive. So... That's that's something that does factor in. Nine millimeter has been super popular with Americans for a while, but I think forty five is taking on more users among the militia community. And how easy is it to get hold of uh, like an AR fifteen in America? Like, if you want to join up the group and say, "Hey, you need to come with your your semi auto AR 15 how how do you do that? It's really easy. It varies by state, though. Um, so I'm from South Carolina, and I actually have an AR-15. <laughs> I'm not a member of a militia. Um, I just I grew up around guns, and I enjoy shooting them at the range. <laughs> but uh, I got an AR-15. Um, it took me, you know, 30 minutes in the shop, like, uh, and probably 15 of that was like making sure that I got the right model that I wanted. But uh, yeah, you just fill out some paperwork. They had it on an iPad. It was at Cabela's. Like, you just tap through. You give them your driver's license. They do a quick background check on a, just a, a list of names that they've got um, and you basically you register it right there and that's that's it it's it's really easy how much does it cost to get like an AR-15 um mine was uh, just under a thousand under a thousand yeah just under a thousand uh, I got it like on a, a little bit of a sale because it was right around Christmas time a couple years back um but I mean you can get it as low as like 500 600 AR-15s are really cheap it's just that if you go on the lower end it gets you're you're gonna get some shitty parts in it. I mean, they can go up to like twenty five hundred if you want to get something really fancy. But you know, for just a casual, um, you know, twice a month at the range shooter, um, I didn't want to spend too much. I think for me, it's so. I think for any Brit, it's, it's. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm against it either. Like, I'm not necessarily against you know guns or whatever. But I just think for me, it's so weird that you guys can just nip to the shop, you know, to, to, yeah. to buy it. I mean, the only time I've ever seen weapons like that used is literally at war, you know, in Southeast yeah, yeah. Turkey or, or in Iraq, I've seen these weapons, but to go to, you know, to the shop and just buy one and use an iPad to pick out whichever model you want, it seems insane, man. It seems really insane. Yeah, I so I originally got it as a, like, you know, just I wanted to see what it was like, like what it took. Like I had seen these militias, like everybody has like three or four in their collection. And I was like, holy shit, like, it must be so easy to get these. So I show up expecting it to take like, you know, an hour or some two hours. And then like me having to wait like a month for everything to clear and come to me. But no, I mean, I walked out of the shop with it and I was like, wow, this was really easy. 
And then I looked at uh, getting a uh, an AK that was sourced from an Eastern Bloc country, and that was much more evolved. So that it's when it's American made, uh, it's much easier. And when you're in a state that doesn't have too many laws, like South Carolina, um, uh, it's even easier. Florida is interesting, and some of the other states have this kind of thing where you can buy a rifle, like day of, but for a handgun you have to wait a month, a week, whatever waiting period they've set up because handguns are so often used to commit suicide. So do you generally see that the militias are more prevalent in states that where it's easier to get hold of guns? Yes and no. Um, I mean, New York, it's a little bit tougher. It's a little bit easier in the state than it is in the city, of course. It's like impossible in the city. But uh, New York has a huge militia movement. Pennsylvania has a huge militia movement. California has a significant one, too. It's just about, like, what kind of equipment they can get. So in, in California, there are a lot more banned weapons um, that people can't have. Like, there's uh, my my uh, unc- or my or cousin, sorry, has a, uh, a gun called the Judge, and it's basically a, a 44 Magnum that can also fire 410 shotgun shells. So that's that's illegal in California because it's a ridiculous gun. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna, I can understand why they don't want like a joke gun, like what is literally a clown's gun. Yeah, a gun that when you shoot it, it just sends the shotgun pellets pellets like into the entire room. Like there's no there's no aiming it. Jesus, I remember once uh, in England there was um, like some shitty like estate that I live near. This guy. Uh, I didn't see it, but I heard about it. Some guy fired a, a sawn-off shotgun for some reason at lamppost, and it literally just took the lamppost off, you know? I mean, I didn't see it happen, but the next day there was no lamppost there, and that's what everybody said happened. So I was like, wow, Jesus Christ, like, imagine. But um, yeah. what I meant to ask, actually, uh, was what about this border situation? Because I've seen footage of militias on the Mexican border. Uh, what is it, California or Mexico? on that border and then i read that there was um i don't know a guy a politician who kind of endorsed what they were doing and they were tying up you know mexicans trying to get over and stuff like that yeah so the militia that i'm working on right now does this a lot actually um it's so this is where it's like such an there's such an interesting disconnect in communities and states a lot of folks who live on the border are you know married to like, Americans are married to people who were born in Mexico. Like, they go across the border, like, uh, and hang out and all that stuff. The communities are, you know, the border isn't really that important to a lot of border communities. They, they like the people on the other side of the border. But then you get, you get folks who are, like, you know, militias from, um, like, Colorado, like I was saying, or Idaho, or, you know, just far enough away that they don't really know the situation, but close enough that they can drive there for a weekend. And they'll show up, and what they do is they go on border patrols, um, and they do what's referred to as denying the enemy, which is um, both receiving families and smugglers and even some uh, humanitarian organizations will, like, leave stashes of water in the desert at the border um, so that those who are crossing don't die on the way over. Um, And these militias will go and look for those uh, stashes and destroy them. It's, it's incredibly inhumane because they're, they're basically condemning folks who are trying to cross the border to death. Why, why do they do that? What's their reason for, for wanting a guy to just perish in the desert? They're, they're anti-illegal immigration, and they think that what needs to happen is they need to patrol the border more. It's, it's sort of the same logic that leads to thinking that a, uh, a border wall will stop, stop illegal immigration, 
even though like the overwhelming majority of illegal immigration into this country is just people overstaying their green cards and like you can do that on a plane you're not walking across the border yeah um, a really expensive wall is really not going to do much yeah. of a difference um so it's it's sort of like we're going to make it even harder for you to walk across this border and we're going to do that in a way that could potentially kill you as well and also i mean i think for a lot of the guys like you know it's new scenery um it's a new quote-unquote operating environment um a lot of them are like camping out on the border and like on the lookout for people trying to cross the border um on foot kind of thing um yeah there's there was a i think it was Mother Jones had a journalist that was embedded with them for a bit, one of the militias. Um, and it was a really interesting story because uh, border agents actually, this was from his own account, uh, border agents came up to the militia and, like, endorsed their work and was like, yeah, like, we really appreciate this. We're understaffed. Which is incredibly worrying that agents of the state are saying that to irregulars who are highly armed and, like, you know almost certainly looking to kill people coming across the border. Yeah, definitely. I saw some footage where a guy that no one could prove it or not, and I think in the end he said he was lying, but it was quite possibly he wasn't. There was some night vision footage where this guy was, you know, he's patrolling a border, one of these militia guys, and he just started firing and claimed to have shot a guy, you know what I mean? Like literally killed a guy on the border. And I mean, I'm sure there's, how would they even know, you know, in some big stretch of wasteland, how would they know who did it or didn't? No, I don't know. It's it's rough, and it's you know they they come from out of state almost every time. Um, don't really know what they're doing, and um, you know I mean I'll get some flack from some if they if they hear this and me say that they don't know what they're doing. But I mean they're showing up and like driving around the border with jeeps with like rifles pointed in a direction, and like that's what they think is operating on the border. Right, high high operating tactical. Got it. Um, and what <clears throat> do you think? There's anything that would happen, I don't know if it's it's Trump getting um, deposed or whatever. Um, is there anything you think that would happen in America that would send these militias to just go bananas and start acting outside of the forest as opposed to like running around doing their training? Yeah, no, I, I wonder what impeachment would do. Um, yeah, I mean, just going off of uh, social media, like, and, and you know, people like to talk big game when things are maybe unlikely but there's a chance for them to happen it's like this is what i would do in this situation but some militia members have been like if this happens like you know we're loading up and we're riding out kind of thing and we're preparing for the second civil war there's some militias that believe that another civil war is coming and they think that that will be the event that precipitates that um and then others that really just don't care that they're like yeah she's a president like He's our president, but, like, it's not worth dying over. And why do they, these guys that think there's another civil war coming, how do they think that's going to start? There's, there's a few different ways, and this is pretty intimately linked to, like, the prepper community um, in the States, which is uh, I'm fairly familiar with as well. I love those prepper guys. They're so much fun. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> uh, but there's, you know, there's a, a number of different situations, and um, for the most part, what they think is that there will be a, like, shit hits the fan moment, which will be, like, like the entire electrical grid in the United States goes out. Or um, a nuclear bomb is dropped on D.C. We no longer have any politicians. Or, like, like these situations that are, like, catastrophic situations that lead to, uh, for all intents and purposes, like, the apocalypse in the United States. And that's when the Civil War will happen. When there will be, like, no more control 
and it's basically like left versus right, or in their mind, conservatives and liberals. I don't know. I, I think right now, like just the sort of popular one is to talk about impeachment, just because it's something that's like in the news. And MSNBC likes to talk about is Trump about to be impeached all the time. CNN talks about it all the time too. These are like two media that are seen as like the fake news or whatever uh, due to Trump. They're liberal media, um, so it's that's that's the guys are reacting to that and saying that this is when civil war will happen. But I mean, you, we never know like what'll happen in the next six months, next year. What might be like the next like headline item that is seen as oh yeah, we're gonna go to civil war soon. There are just some people who want to see a civil war happen. Like they won't say it out loud, but they want to prepare for it and like LARP it in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, that, that yeah, LARPing exactly. That's what I wanted to ask. I was gonna say what kind of people join these militias because. It seems like you just said it's like people want something. It's they just you know I I can understand in a way not that all their right wing shit or whatever or their pro government, but like I can just understand that these guys want something that's bigger than themselves to do. You know. Yeah, no, that definitely. I think a lot of group membership just across every political spectrum and every segment of society is about being part of something bigger. And I mean this this is something that like the Islamic State has in uh, in common with like. Uh, the International Freedom Battalions, uh, like the international volunteers that are fighting alongside the Yepige, um, as well as American militia movements and the Democratic Party and um, a subreddit even, if you're the admin of it. Just feeling like you're, you're impacting something disproportionately, that you're part of some larger plan or program, is it's invigorating for a lot of people. So I think most of the time like people are joining militias for this exact same reason in the United States that they like they alone they have one rifle they have one handgun like you know they're not going to be able to like be a security force or like really be able to train their community in first aid but if they're part of an organization they can so i think that's really important and i think like i said i i think that like the fourth level um reason for joining a militia is like that community like these these people are in my community and they're like my these comrades are my brothers and sisters kind of thing and i think that's really important especially for a lot of rural communities and communities that have been uh at the margins in the united states for a while yeah man definitely i, I really think that's a good point and i think as well you know everybody wants that sense of community and if you have it you know how things are kind of topsy-turvy in the west you know i mean social media takes precedent over a library for example that's insane so like i think when you know the times we're living in now i think if you give a guy that community and the thing of you might have to kill or be killed it just really strengthens it you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean it, it adds urgency to it i just i just mean it, it like adds like a level of intensity it's like th now i'm going to be really devoted to this because this could save my life Right, man. I think that's a really good ending way to end it, unless you want to say anything else. This has been something that's been a part-time project for me for, you know, three, four years now. Um, it's not anything I get paid to do. It's just it was a hobby, and now I, uh, I keep a just a small blog, Militia Watch, on it. Um, and I don't really deem myself to be an expert on it. I'm not. I don't have a degree in this kind of stuff, but it's something that I have a little bit of expertise in. Okay. Cheers, Hampton. That was Hampton Stahl talking about the various militias across the US. Some of them seem to want to bring down the government. Some of them want to threaten anyone that's kind of left-leaning and starting a protest. And some of them just want to hang out with each other, hang out with their friends, 
play around with uh, assault rifles but some of these militias can actually be quite dangerous and Hampton tracks them so if you want to find out more from him he's on Twitter at Hampton Stall and also at Militia Watch he's got a website as well for that where he updates everybody on all the militia activity that is uh, medium.com slash Militia Watch if you want to find out more on Popular Front, you follow my Twitter, that's Jake underscore Hanrahan, J-A-K-E underscore H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N. And you can also support us and see the podcast grow up into something much better, if you like, on Patreon. So that's patreon.com slash Popular Front. Music in this episode, the intro, as usual, was by Home, and the outro music is by a good friend of mine called Sam Black. Uh, his music name is Son of Old. You can find more of his music at soundcloud.com slash son-of-old. Uh, I don't think he really thought that handled through when he uh, signed up for SoundCloud. But anyway, listen to his music. It's really good. And the funniest thing about Sam is that he basically makes all this on a trial of Fruity Loops. So he can't really save any of his music. So he has to make each beat and just finish it if he wants to export it. Um, but I think that's quite cool. <laughs> 